1: I can't beat it. It's a lie! It's
0: a lie! It's a lie! I guess everyone's a title that's scared
2: Professionalism is Gary's middle name. Mm-hmm. Yes. Gary as well as professionalism. Ana- Anastasia
0: melting. Horn. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, smash that record button
0: it's hit it's hit and well hello welcome to cinema shock a podcast dedicated to the history and evolution of cult and genre movies i'm gary horde i'm good what yeah great. I, who are good you <laughs> just happy it was you
1: Justin's all about professionalism and being here <laughs> <Man. prepared> and
0: <laughs> sounds like somebody needs to change their
2: fucking middle name
1: yeah, <laughs> I'm Justin Bishop. We're joined
2: today by writer, comedian, and retired monkey farmer Todd Davis. Welcome back to
1: the show, Todd. With, with a brand new microphone, yay! Oh, with,
2: with a microphone,
1: you with mean. a microphone, yay! <laughs> what you were using before could
2: hardly be considered a microphone. That's it, true. It was it's a can uh, with a string attached. Yeah, basically. Yeah, with a really long true. string going all the way to Gary's house. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the show, Todd. We're glad to have you as our special guest for the seventh week in a row. Oh, I'm special. Well, We know. (laughs) And this is our seventh episode in our Romero Savini series. So as we've discussed in previous episodes, I don't know how many episodes ago that was, Dawn of the Dead. That was like four episodes ago, probably. So after the success of Dawn of the Dead, Romero struck a deal with United Film Distribution, and that deal was for... Three more movies. They they helped distribute that movie. And they're like, hey, we want to make three more movies with you, with the agreement that one of those films be a third Living Dead film. Of course, we, we all know the story. Hopefully, you know the story. If you've been listening to the podcast, uh, we know that his immediate follow-up to Dawn of the Dead was the highly personal and sort of financially disappointing Night Riders, which we all loved. Uh, and that was followed by the very successful creep show. Creep you know show. This-
0: did you notice, by the way? Sorry, that That's there was right. a lot of love for Night Riders because as we're recording that, that this the episode just came out. But I see so many people talking about how much they
2: love Knight Riders. There lo- it, it has a lot of fans.
0: Yeah. I just uh, I I literally never seen the movie before, and it just drives me crazy that like I had never even really <laughs> heard anything about it. And now you like post about it, people are like, Oh, night riders, night riders, night riders is
2: the best. I'm like, yeah. Where is everybody on this movie? I mean People who love it, love it. And I think I feel like the people who also listen to and follow our show are the type of people who would appreciate Knight Riders, you know. They're they're the ones who want to get into Romero's films and get those deep cuts, you know.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm one of those guys who like Gary, you know, I'd never heard of it, never seen it, but it's it's definitely on my radar now. I love good, good. it. And yeah, it's it's weird to see. Well, I mean, you think, you know, there's some of these things, you know, in trying to Think there's ones like Dark Man, and you know, a couple of other ones that are George
2: Romero's Dark Man.
1: Well, no, I'm just saying, like <laughs> outside of the Romero uh, thing, but you know, more obscure films that people. There's people who you think, oh, they've seen this, they love this, and they've never seen it. And then, I mean, listen, people you much, wouldn't think, they're like, oh, I love that movie. I watched it all the time. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know,
2: we all have gaps in our knowledge. Nobody has seen every movie ever as right. much as you want to. My list of movies I want to see grows every single day. I always discover the existence of some movie and not necessarily new movies, but just movies. Movies have been being made for over 100 years. So I will often, you know, come across movies and i'm like man i really need to see that none of us have seen everything so it's really fun to discover new stuff like knight riders new to us i mean that's obviously not new it's 40 years old but right uh, (laughs) it's new to us so that's that's really exciting and i'm really glad that we all discovered it i mean i we knew about it i knew of its existence at least and it's one that's always been on my man i need to watch that list and you know the show provided the reason to do that
0: yeah. It also introduced the Savini bikini, which went up on the uh, Twitter today and yep. uh, is also uber
2: popular. <laughs> hey, how could it not be? <laughs> Honestly. So Creepshow was a big success and its success proved that Romero was indeed a bankable director. Unfortunately, what happened on that film is, uh, is that Warner Brothers, who distributed the film, took the majority of the profits, which left only a very like minor return on the investment by United Film Distribution. So it's not like they had they were rolling in the dough to bankroll the next movie. But still, it did seem like, you know, after the success of Creep Show, that Romero's next logical step and his next contractually obligated step was a new Living Dead film. And that film was 1985's Day of the Dead.
0: First came the night, then came the dawn. Now comes the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history. George A. Romero's Day of the Dead. For the few remaining, their only hope of survival is to find a cure. But the odds are against them, and so is Captain Rhodes. Anybody else have any questions about the way things are going to run around here from now on? Their one chance is Bub. It's working on instinct. But their time is running out. But when the tricks wouldn't work, their world fell apart. The dead shall have their day.
1: Day of the dead. Extraordinary,
0: isn't it?
2: So when Romero first began to conceive his next zombie film, he saw it as a truly like epic movie, bigger than anything that he had done before. In his words, he was wanting to make the gone with the wind of zombie films. So, you know, like super fucking racist. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I got a little bit of that from, uh, from watching this. Yeah,
0: And Bob just French and Sarah towards the end as the (laughs) base burns down.
2: So the, the first draft of, of Romero's script was a whopping 204 pages. And that, script it barely resembles what we finally get in this film but it involved a multi-tiered society where the lowest classes of humans were raised to feed zombies basically uh, and you, you can definitely see where romero's love of you know putting in social commentary would work with something like that oh yeah and yeah, in turn totally. the zombie's elves in the movie were tamed to work as slaves to help maintain the ruling elite which of course kind of has shades of those original zombie stories like the white zombie that we talked about way back in episode one mm.
0: yeah I had seen some stuff with Romero talking about like around this time since he had hit the late 60s with night and then hit the 70s with uh dawn he, he said he had actually kind of gotten in his head like, oh, well, maybe I'm just going to do one of these every 10 years. This is just yeah. going to be the thing. And so with this one, he started writing it and he was starting to think about, you know, obviously, like you said, the the social commentary was at the forefront of his mind. So he's just thinking about like what, what's going on with me now. And so he said, a lot of this one has to do with disillusionment with the the government, the military financial institutions, all of this stuff that was happening in the eighties.
2: Yeah. He wanted it to kind of reflect the decade in which it was made. So United film distribution, you know, Romero comes to them with this idea this enormous script that is like the size of a phone book. And they kind of balked at the idea of putting up the $7 million that Romero would need to pull off his concept. So Romero eventually reluctantly agreed to cut the budget in half and scale down the film. Although a lot of the concepts in his original script would resurface about two decades later in The Land of the Dead which we're not talking about on this series but maybe we'll do a bonus episode of that one one day. I'd actually like to revisit it. It's been quite a long time since I've seen Land of the Dead.
0: I think yeah. I saw it in the theater with you. And uh yeah, it's been it's been a
1: been a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while for me too. I recall Leguizamo's in it, isn't
2: he? Yep, Dennis Hopper, John Leguizamo. Okay. Nice. When they were trying to rework the concept of the film, there were a lot of versions of the film discussed, and not just via the script and budget, but in some really kind of weird ways. Like there was a brief discussion of shooting the film in 3D, which of course in 1985 was all the rage. There had just been, you know, a fairly successful release of like Friday the 13th 3D, but there were all kinds of horror movies that were trying to capitalize on that trend at the time. Another option that they brought to Romero was and this is a, a, an option, by the way, that Romero and Rubenstein, his his producer, totally rejected almost immediately. And they it was was basically, hey, make a milder movie that's R rated, not unrated, but scale down on the gore and stuff, and then we can get this distributed by a major studio, and that major studio can help to finance it, and they can fully finance that original vision that Romero had. Although, you know, of course, that would be at the expense of that incredible gore that Tom Savini contributes to the film. Which is kind of the signature of those movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and which is why R- Romero is not a guy who's going to tame it down. No. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I saw saw interviews with Rubenstein and, and Savini. Savini described it as, you know, like this was a, a very... uh it was a major effects film. He said was like the only way you can think of to describe it. Just that yeah. it, it just, it had a lot going on. And Rubenstein talks a little bit about that conversation with Romero is like, look, if you want to make this happen, we can, but it's going to cost you. Like it's, you know, you got to cut this out. And that yeah. Romero was want very anti. Yeah. This idea it was just like, he's like, well, or I could give you 3 million and you could just do whatever the hell you want again.
2: Feel like Gary? I feel like you watched the many days of Day of the Dead, the same documentary I watched. Oh yeah, I might have. Is that the <laughs> Anchor Anchor Films one? Yeah, yeah, it was on the Anchor Bay release from um, the Div- DivX or whatever it was back in the day. You are correct. I watched yeah. that same thing. It's a great documentary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, Romero would resign to the fact that in order to get his to keep his artistic integrity intact and to keep that independent spirit. Intact that we talked about on our Knight Riders episode to keep that alive, he'd have to scale things back a bit. And his final script might have been scaled back a little bit, but he still retained his lofty philosophical goals. Yeah, it's it's about one of not
0: necessarily the last, but one of possibly several nests of humanity that are left. As a as a military group, there were I'm trying to do like
2: I've hugged myself because I've seen <laughs> him do that lately too.
1: Appreciate yourself. appreciate the commitment, yeah. Gary. Yeah, I mean
2: that's this is not a visual medium, so I don't know that it's necessary. But uh, if it gets you, if if this is your method <laughs> to, to get into it, the character, then go for it, Gary.
0: I should have grew my hair out. Uh, <laughs> as a military group, there were there they were there for research, and of course now they need to, for what they're doing. To, wait, what? Now the need for what they're doing is all but gone. Sorry, I smoked a lot of pot before this. With society, gone, who are they going to report to if they find anything out? All of a sudden, when the structure's gone, they don't quite know how to behave, or they cling to old behaviors that no one talks to each other and no one communicates. So there's this sort of tragedy about how lack of human communication causes chaos and collapse, even in this small little pie slice of
2: society. I mean, I think he kind of, he kind of breaks down the entire philosophy of the film in that one quote, though. You know, that, that was from an interview with him. I mean, he really does break it down. Like, this is what this movie is about. The the collapse of society, partially due to us not being able to talk to each other. And the clash between the military and science and each one having a different approach to how to handle the situation. One wanting to use rationality and one wanting to use, like, brute force. Yeah. That's um, familiar. What, yeah. Well, yeah. That doesn't. It, I'm glad we've gotten past that. Honestly, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: well, you know, though, I, I I did see this like AFI interview with him, and I mean, he doesn't act as though. Even with uh, the interview with Guillermo that I've referenced before, he talked a little bit about that. For him, he looked at it as though science and the military have gone crazy, like that they're they're both insane, like they're well, both I mean, like Dr.
2: Frankenstein. Are, in this is not like he's a mad scientist. You know? Yeah like so if there's if anyone's uh, not, if there's anyone that's got a level head it's sarah
0: yeah and, and the funny thing about her is is that
2: he says yeah
0: he looks at her as the ultimate humanist like she's she's the person that cares about people like in the middle of all of this but also you know like some people call this movie his feminist film and he says that like yeah i guess uh, he, he says he's been apologizing for for to women since night. Uh, since Barbara. Since, he put, since Barbara <laughs> was the most ineffectual female character possibly ever put on screen. He was saying, no, that honestly, he looks back on this movie sometimes and watches it and thinks sometimes that Sarah's even wrong. That like huh. she's too far gone in one direction
2: too. It's interesting just to hear him talk about it later on. I think one thing that we always kind of say on the show is that you have to consider the cultural climate that surrounded the film at at the time that the film was released. You know, you have to put yourself kind of not only in the mindset of the audience of the time, which I think is very important when you watch a movie, but also just on what was going on in the world around that audience. And 1985, when this movie was released, was smack dab in the middle of the Reagan years. That's the same year that saw the release of First Blood, Rambo, First Blood Part Two, which was the movie that kind of made Rambo a, a cultural icon of, of the era. And that film, I mean, that film was a major success. It, it brought in like $150 million at the box office. And in 1985, like this jingoism, this sort of, you know, all G.I. Joe American hero, was like, that was how people saw soldiers.
0: I feel like you're just saying like a longer form of idealistic blueprint
2: of foreign policy <laughs> yes you nailed what i'm trying to say here. <laughs> yes See, just said john rambo and kill everyone uh, it, w- the i mean the heroes the soldiers were not so, soldiers were seen as heroes i I, is what, I guess is what i'm trying to say to most audiences in 1985 with movies like Rambo, despite the fact that the first Rambo movie is not about that at all. Uh, quite the opposite. It's about how war fucks somebody up. But uh, but, but by the time Rambo 2 came out, that's kind of where we were at. Audiences at the time, you know, we went to see Dawn of the Dead, or excuse me, Day of the Dead. They didn't want to see those same soldiers painted as essentially misogynistic, racist, psychopaths because that's what we have here especially i mean obviously in uh, you've got uh, what is it uh, rickles and what's the other guy steel steel yeah. rickles and steel? steel yeah uh who's played by like a former uh football player i believe he was that guy yeah
0: but um, so you and got rickles and then is course, obviously based on don rickles yeah yeah, yeah. It's yeah very a, similar
2: same <laughs> madman <laughs> And, of course, their, their leader, who is played as an absolute insane person, who is just about to explode at every minute, played by Joe Pilato, the great Joe Pilato who we've talked about on the show before, uh, and he's possibly the worst of the bunch out of them. But audiences didn't want to see soldiers portrayed that way, you know? Right. So, And, and as we'll discuss, that led to this film being kind of a disappointment to, to audiences in 1985. Uh, and also gone, you didn't have, you know, for people who were used to, who had seen Dawn of the Dead, you didn't have that candy coated palette. You didn't have that crayon red colored blood. You 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 didn't have bright colors, or the even the color of the zombies is muted. I mean, the Day of the Dead is all drab, gray and brown. You know, and very like flat color palette. So it's easy to kind of see why both the general public and horror fans kind of rejected the movie at the time of its release. Like this is not like the case of a movie not being popular with you know, the general public, but horror fans, you know, seeing it for what it the masterpiece that it is at the time that this was released in 1985, even horror fans were kind of upset about it. Part of that was because Fangoria magazine, you know, they, they had been releasing bits and bits about the making of the movie way prior to it actually being filmed what what happened was that they got little tidbits about that original vision that Romero had, that epic, the Gone with the Wind of zombie films. So by the time this movie came out, which is a much smaller, much more claustrophobic affair, they were like, what the fuck, man? This is not what we were promised.
1: Yeah, it sounds like they uh, fell victim to the trailer syndrome where you get sold one thing and, and it turns out to not be that. You're yeah. disappointed.
0: I say with Romero, you better just shape the fuck up by now. Like he, this seems to be his, he's not delivering everything you think he's going to deliver anytime. I don't think at at, at any of these movies Uh, and Dawn of the dead is by far the only one that dabbles in fun.
2: Yes. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) Even, even in the later ones Uh, you know, even, even the ones that are less celebrated, they're not exactly like he's not having a good time with those movies. I mean, there's fun aspects to all of them, I think. Right. But in recent years have seen this film have a major resurgence. For a lot of horror fans, you you hear a lot of people say that like this is their favorite or the best of Romero's original trilogy. You hear that a lot. Romero says that, doesn't he? Like yeah, he Romero, this is Romero's favorite of the original. Yeah. So, as with Dawn of the Dead, the principal casting for Day was done in New York City, although the film's lead role would actually go to a Pittsburgh native, uh, Lori Cardilli. So Cardilli, it's something we haven't really discussed. Cardilli was the daughter of a guy named Chili Billy Cardilli, <laughs> William, William Cardilly, but he went by the name Chili Billy. So Chili Billy was a television person. Justin,
1: I you need to deliver that with more serious some gravitas. Chili Billy. Cardilly. There you go.
0: There you <laughs> go. <laughs> he wants the James Lipton, like
1: <laughs> Chili. Billy
0: Cardilli, <laughs> <laughs> your father. So <laughs> talk about him.
2: <laughs> so Cardilli was a television personality in Pittsburgh in the 60s and 70s. He was, and he was a horror host. He was like, you know, Sivanguly or, or Elvira or, you know, people like that. He was a horror host. He hosted a show called Chiller Theater and he went by the name Chili Billy. And he's also in Night of the Living Dead because he was like, he was a major personality in Pittsburgh and in Night of the Living Dead, he plays himself. He plays William Cardilli. He plays a news reporter in it. You're like in, in those news reports, like he's got a major role there, but he also uh, played a ghoul. He also appears in makeup at a different part of the film as a ghoul, but Lori Cardilly didn't get the role due to any kind of like nepotism. She didn't get cast because Romero was a fan of her, her dad's work. She was a legit, like a legit actress at this point. And she had, she had already had ongoing roles in the soap operas, uh, Edge of Night and Ryan's Hope. And Romero, you know, of course, Romero, we know kind of almost like Stuart Gordon has an affinity for like stage actors, you know? Yeah. And he saw her in an off Broadway play called Reckless and he loved her. He thought she was amazing and knew that she was like perfect to be his leading lady in this new movie. And ironically, though, Lori Cardilli was not a fan of horror movies. She says that she hardly ever even watched her father's show, but she jumped at the chance to work with Romero because Romero is like Pittsburgh royalty, you know? And another thing that attracted to her to the role was she read the script and she saw how strong sarah was on the page she she saw that she was never written as like a damsel in distress so she wanted to play that kind of character
1: yeah it's good as good a reason as any i mean you know work with somebody who's got some clout and you got uh some meat on the bones of that part in the script so in the role of the film's
2: chief antagonist romero cast joe Pilato, who we mentioned earlier who of course he had had small roles in both dawn of the dead and in night riders and of course as we discussed a couple episodes ago in the Romero adjacent effects, uh, where he plays the lead. Another of the film's key roles was played by a guy, an improv master by the name of Howard Sherman. He played the zombie Bub, probably the most famous zombie in all of Romero's films, I would say. And man, he is incredible. (laughs) He is just incredible in this role. The amount of gravitas that he gives this like bumbling corpse is really really something incredible i think it's really really good like they he makes you actually care about the well-being of this this zombie you know yeah
1: it's kind of like watching the first 20 minutes of Wally, you're just riveted. He's it's not like, really it's not really saying a lot, but
0: right. I also think of these two those two movies together, like Wally and Yeah. Yeah. go hand in hand. I,
2: I picture that Wally is actually a sequel to Day of the Dead. <laughs> the, the end of the, the 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 planet's in that that condition because of the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that
1: tracks. Um,
2: it's
0: worth mentioning too. back to
2: Joe Pilato
0: for a second too. Uh, I, I saw an interview with him where he talked about that, uh, you know, if they thought Romero had him in mind. And I think in that documentary we both watched, he says, you know, like he auditioned and just kind of got the role. It was yeah. standard thing, but, uh, he he said it in another interview that he uh, he thought it had to do also with uh, Romero's budget getting reduced down to three point five or whatever. Like he was like, well, I can afford this guy, so uh, <laughs> I can't think of better actors. Um, but you know, he's the character. Uh, if we have it established, really, is that you know he was in Dawn as that cop that we talked about then that he would come back here. Uh, oh yeah. He's, okay. he, he plays a cop in Dodd. that there's this like fan theory that it's the same guy. Like he's the cop. Oh the, yeah. This character is still the, the cop from Dodd, and that there's just, there's no semblance of, or no, you know, recorded time here. Like you don't know exactly the time in between that maybe this guy actually did end up joining like a military force and
2: That's end up funny. taking over Howard Sherman or Sherman Howard. He's, he's credited both different ways, depending on where, you see it, but I think Sherman Howard was his like stage name, but Howard Sherman was his actual name. But anyway, he's a or the Shermanator, or the the Shermanator. <laughs> is that an American Pie reference? Is that what it, it, is? it? Sure is. But yeah, he he like like many other guys in this, he was a he was a stage actor. I mean, he had a long history of working on the stage. He didn't do a ton of movies. I mean, he had been in a couple movies where he played like kind of small roles. You know, like he's in prior to this he's not really in anything a couple of tv movies maybe he he appears in like lethal weapon 2 as like hitman number 3 or something like that you know uh and he was on he played lex luthor on a uh a, a animated cartoon that ran in the 90s called the adventures of superboy do you guys remember this you might we were pretty young it was like early 90s like 90, 91 wait this huh? is the live action or you said animated
0: animated Um, animated. yeah Uh, yeah. so
2: there i mean well the adventures of superboy was a a show from way back in the 60s but i guess there there was like a resurgence in the in the 90s i never watched it but when i was looking into this actor with howard sherman i found out that he played lex luthor on the show later on like in the in the early 90s
1: nice that's yeah it wasn't on my radar yeah i must have missed that
2: As with his previous zombie flicks, Romero had no shortage of Pittsburgh residents willing to play zombie extras. And a lot, this is kind of similar to what Gary, a bit of trivia Gary told us about Dawn of the Dead and that the extras were paid in a dollar bill. They didn't get a donut on this one. They got a dollar bill and they got a hat that said, I was a zombie in Day of the Dead. Do you know what those hats are probably worth these days?
0: Oh man, I'd love to have one of those. I would love to have one. That'd be awesome.
2: Yeah. Uh, But in Florida, so they filmed part of the film in Florida. Uh, The opening, the opening sequences are set in Florida. And... They, they, that was kind of a different story. They had a really hard time getting people to play zombies. They even had like a radio contest to round up zombies, saying, like, win a spot as a zombie extra in the new George Romero movie. And they just couldn't get anyone. So they wanted this like huge epic shot of zombies on the streets of Fort Lauderdale where they were filming. They wanted like 800 extras and they got like 36 extras. So, which is why the beginning of the film, you see you see zombies wandering the streets, but it's not like a horde of zombies, you know?
1: Um, yeah. I thought the crowd looked, I thought the horde looked a little light. <laughs> so
0: uh, Tony Todd au- auditioned for the role of John, I saw. Uh, he unfortunately didn't get it, but, you know. Oh, interesting. I, he had another attempt for him to, to work his way into Romero's
2: stuff. <laughs> he, keeps <but> <laughs> he keeps trying. He uh, keeps trying. They never worked together, I don't think, did they? Uh, not that I know of. To my knowledge, yeah. no. We should mention uh, John Amplis
0: is in there, and John Amplis
2: uh, is in there. He plays the uh, the doctor who is the kind of the assistant, I guess, to Sarah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I guess as long as we're talking about the rest of the cast, you've got uh, Richard Liberty in there as Doctor Logan, who I like to pretend is like the father of Herbert West, because they talk exactly the same and they both have the same sort of mad scientist. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Don't they sound alike? They sound exactly alike. Yeah. yeah. It's super weird. It is really strange. But, you know, one thing about the the characters in this movie is that they're not fun to hang out with. Like, no. there are few characters on screen that you'd want to hang out with. You might want to hang out with Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, but... But he only because he's kind of the eccentric, weird guy. You might even want to hang out with Bub. He seems nice. I was about to say, why not Miguel? He seems like a blast at parties. Oh, Miguel. <laughs> no, that fucking guy. What a horrible person to be around during the apocalypse. Can oh. you imagine as we're all still in the middle of kind of a pandemic, right? Kind of. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now. Can you imagine if you were quarantining with that fucking guy? god oh my god I'd f- I, I just f- want to
0: see myself- where he and barbara are like teamed together <laughs> in the house from
1: yeah. the
2: living dead or something
1: <laughs> i found myself actively rooting for the zombies like Eat no, he that is, motherfucker come he on he's the
2: worst Ugh. and then you've got mr bean as the uh the the <laughs> the, the uh the irish uh helicopter pirate
0: you do um uh, also uh Young Greg Nicotero, who we discussed, showing up on set to hang out before he found his lot in life back on Creep Show, uh, was yep. uh, starring as Johnson in this one. And yeah, uh, I wouldn't say starring, but he has a, a very small... he was the main Johnson in this movie. Oh, he's the number one Johnson.
1: Oh, he's a Johnson. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh, so you know, at least I, I did read something that he used to us, a prop of his severed head to scare his mother later on. I no. very proud of that. Nice.
2: <laughs> i don't know the character most of the characters in this there it's kind of a contrast to the fun aspect of dawn of the dead is it like, like you could hang out with those guys maybe not all, all the time but you know like ken Forey, like th- those those guys they're fun they're having fun in that movie you know when they're going to their shopping spree and stuff like you could you can see yourself hanging out with those guys i wouldn't want to hang out with anyone in this movie like they're all and you get why i mean they're they're in a pretty shitty situation. They're all at their wits end. Even like the good guys are kind of shitty because they're so fucking high-strung and stressed out and just yelling at each other all the time.
1: There's zero fun to be had here.
2: Well, I, I'd say one thing that is fun, if I had to pick, you know, a fun, the, the most fun aspect of this movie is the zombies. It's Tom Savini's work well, yeah. on this
1: movie.
2: Tom yeah. Savini's work is by by far the best zombie makeup of the trilogy. Yeah. Uh so Savini, Tom Savini, the great Tom Savini, he considers this his masterpiece. He considers this the best work he ever did. And I'm not necessarily going to argue with that because I I do think that that's probably true. I, I I do think he does some really good work on his remake of Night of the Living Dead, which we'll be discussing in a few weeks, but I don't know that it tops this, honestly. I think his work here is really incredible. He had a pretty big crew on this one, the biggest crew that he'd ever had. Uh, he he crafted a- about two hundred zombie masks for the extras. So for like your key zombies, your your major zombies, you know, they all get the the prosthetic and you know, Bob and and people like that. And that that zombie without the jaw at the beginning of the movie, yeah, when the title reason. comes up, oh, it's so yeah. good. There's there's a clown zombie in there that's amazing. And those that guys Cloud were all, zombie, I think, shows up in
0: like every zombie movie after, or at least yeah. some variation of the cloud zombie. That becomes yeah. a thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. That that's like it showed up. I think it shows up in Land of the Dead, and I think it shows up in The Walking Dead as like a cameo at one point. Uh, oh, yeah, that may be right. Yeah. So they they crafted you know regular prosthetics for those those main zombies, but for like the zombies in the background, they would mostly do like prosthetic mat like masks where, that would go over their faces that they would wear. There were even some that would like, if they were way in the background, they would just kind of paint them like they did on, on Dawn of the dead. Uh, but this was the first time that Savini had a crew of sculptors come in and actually work on those, like the masks and and stuff. So this is the first time he really did that on a, on a movie. Cause even on creep show, you know, like fluffy, he sculpted that all himself. Like we talked about on that episode, That crew consisted of like him and and one other kid. And I guess, well, Gary mentioned him earlier, but I guess it is a good time to note that one of the guys on Savini's crew on this movie was Greg Nicotero. Uh, Nicotero, for those who don't know, like Nicotero is a major force in not just special effects, but in the horror world and in movies, special effects in general right now. Uh, But this was his first movie. This is the first movie he ever worked on. He essentially learned the art of special effects makeup by working under Savini. He was like Savini's protege. Savini took him under under his wing and Nicotero wound up being, I was going to say arguably, but I wouldn't even say arguably. I'd say definitely like more successful in the field than Savini ever was. Because when he worked on Day of the Dead, he met another guy on set named Howard Berger. Howard Berger and Nick Cotero ended up moving to Hollywood. They ended up getting an apartment together. They were roommates. And their third roommate was a guy named Robert Kurtzman. And the three of them founded KNB Effects, who is one of the biggest yeah. effects houses in the world. And I'm sure we'll talk about Nick Katero and KNB in probably greater detail later on. But just as reference, these guys have worked on special effects in horror films. Like, they, I mean, they've worked on The Night of the... Uh, the The Nightmare on Elm Street series. Uh, I think they did part five. They also did Halloween part five, uh, but they also did like Dances with Wolves. You know, they did the animatronic Buffaloes and Dances with Wolves. They did the animatronic calf and City Slickers, you know, so they don't just do horror. Uh, they did Army of Darkness with Sam Raimi, who they go way, way back with, with Sam Raimi. Because their first, their very first movie, I think was one that was directed by Sam Raimi's producer, Scott Spiegel. The guy who co-wrote Evil Dead too, so and, and of course they've done work on like all of Tarantino's movies, starting with Reservoir Dogs. Like the ear that gets cut off, that's them. All the blood splat splatter that you see in like Kill Bill, that's all K and B effects. And nice. of course, I, I'd say probably their most well-known work these days is probably the like. Frankly, in, I'm not a huge fan of the show, but incredible work that they do on The Walking Dead.
1: Yeah. Because those
2: zombies are next level. Like the work that Nicotero yeah. does on that is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. Those And of those... course, bringing it back to R- Romero, Nicotero also is the showrunner on creep show, the, the shutter series. Oh so, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's okay. the executive producer and, and showrunner
1: on that one. Nice.
2: So one of my favorite effects in this movie is when, when Rhodes, Joe Pilato's character gets, when he dies, uh not just because his character sucks and, needs to die at that point but it's a killer effect i think uh, i mean there's a lot of great effects in this and and in that documentary uh the many days of day of the dead that's on that anchor bay dvd greg nicotero actually goes into detail about how they do like the the stretching skin effect you know like when somebody bites into because there's some really fucking gnarly gnarly effects in this movie but yeah. the, the one where Pilato gets pulled apart I mean they they did it in a similar way that they had done in other films with uh, basically the they had the lower half of pilato's body under the floor with a, a, you know a fake torso being pulled apart but that fake torso they filled it with chicken parts you know just like they'd use like pig intestines and stuff on Dawn of the dead they filled it with chicken parts but they'd been storing the entrails in a refrigerator of course and someone unknowingly unplugged it two weeks before it was supposed to be filmed oh, so these chicken no. parts uh, so these chicken parts are sitting in a fridge just starting to rot for two weeks ugh. uh so by the time yeah so by the time they go to film it they're just rank and rotten and disgusting they still used them so so <laughs> waste not uh, yeah so the zombie extras are had to stuff their noses so they wouldn't smell it and like get sick and puke but joe Pilato couldn't do that he was in the scene and they, they couldn't really hide it with him so he was like about to like just hurl by time they got done with that like he was done with it because all he could smell he was covered essentially covered in rotting chicken Ugh. entrails during that scene oh yeah no thanks George imagine I, having to eat them oh. <laughs> so, the, the effects in this to me you know you don't have that bright red Dario Argento style blood in this one it's uh i think the effects in this really kind of reflect more than any of the other films that that we've talked about so far savini's days as a war photo- photographer in vietnam like i think you really see the influence of that here because the effects in this are pretty they're more realistic they feel like they're more rooted in reality and instead of that bright red blood you've got like dark crimps and even black sometimes and some of the zombies you know they get shot in the head and it's like black almost coming out it's it's really something else. And the effects in this are pretty, I mean, they are, they're some of the best in the history of horror films. I I think in my personal opinion.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we've already kind of touched on the fact that this is probably his, it's his best work so far by far, but you know, he's definitely, he's definitely um, topped himself in his work in this one. And, uh, you know how much of that can be attributed to experience you know before the movie industry and then you know just wanting to see something creative and new i don't know but it's really solid either way no matter how it feels
0: it feels like a movie made for the years it's made for like the i know that sounds like a stupid sentence but the like for the 80s like this is like for everything we've been talking about like for the time that it's made it just as graphic and just bloodlusty and gory and just is well the 80s as were all about
2: is. excess
0: yeah like you know, this movie really goes for it yeah <laughs> like it it nails it and yeah i think i think to the i mean walking dead is clearly like this is the movie they're pulling from i mean yeah the yeah tearing yeah. apart of people yeah absolutely yep. just uh captain Rhodes death is classic all on its own like yeah. just that whole final scene of his is just amazing choke on choke on
1: choke on
2: what a what a i mean as much as you hate him what a great final line you know yeah yeah, yeah. Um, supposedly yeah. ad-lib so so good for i him. love it yeah it's awesome mm. when they go to film this they need of course a location for a military a enormous military complex that's set underground and Romero was actually lucky enough to find a former limestone mine in a in a little town outside of Pittsburgh called Wampum, Pennsylvania. It was actually suggested to him by the Pittsburgh Film Commission. They're like, they they, you know, kind of brought it to his attention. This mine, so it was this old limestone mine that had been converted into a storage facility, uh, which is pretty wild. I mean, the, the look of it is pretty wild because you've got these stark concrete walls, but you still see the natural rock. In some parts of it, you know, it's really crazy. I mean, and, and the original, like the when it was being used as a storage facility, uh, it housed everything from luxury yachts, which tells you how big of a complex this is, uh, to feature film negatives, including the film negatives for Gone with the Wind. That's where they were
1: stored at the time. Wow. Yeah. It's I to be honest, I don't typically pay attention. To a lot of production design, including, you know, the sets and whatnot. But this one did stick out to me because I I kept thinking, like, is this an actual location? Did they build this? If they did, wow, it looks great. If, if they had this... built it, it would have cost a fortune. Probably yeah, that's what I was so thinking. I was expensive. like, there's no way they built this. Yeah. I mean, they don't have that kind of money.
2: Right, right. But it's, it's a striking looking location. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. It stands out. I mean, it's one of the more memorable things about the movie. I mean, just you remember it being this, the movie set in like the underground bunker, like, or at least I always think of that.
2: Yeah. I mean, and it makes it all feel a little more hopeless. If that makes sense to me, because you're like, you're stuck underground. There's no daylight, you know, you're, you're essentially in a enormous tomb surrounded by people who don't like you <laughs> and that you don't like
1: oh yeah definitely. what a horrible
2: existence
1: yeah it definitely plays on some claustrophobia i think absolutely and, yeah um,
0: and well especially stuff. if you think back on it and just think about like john trying to pitch the idea at the very beginning of the movie like why don't we just get out of here and find an island and they're like what island city island and just sit on the beach and just yeah. waste away out on the beach out in the open yeah. like just that sounds great <laughs> and uh and they're choosing not to do that and instead go into this like Cumbersome, like just hold up place, this facility. It also it
2: sounds like it was a nightmare to film in this place, too, because it was I guess maybe it was temperature controlled for all the stuff that it was storing, but it was always the temperature was always set at a steady, like fifty-five degrees with high humidity. And the high humidity caused malfunctions in both filming equipment and in the zombie makeup. You know, things would not set right. Uh, It was also incredibly hard to light, which I guess, you know, we should also point out here that the cinematographer on this was Michael Gornick again, who has done pretty much every Romero movie that we've talked about since Martin. So he's still this, I believe this was his final film. I think you're right. With with Romero. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the music for this was done by John Harrison who did creep show and starred in effects and did the music for that as well. So it's that whole, you know, Pittsburgh filmmaking family thing again. Oh yeah. And you know, this facility was also, you know, I, I pointed out that it's dark and windowless. It was windowless. So they're but they're, you know, they're not living there, but they're working there for eight, 10, 12 hours a day. And that severely affected the crew, both mentally and physically, like being under that, you know, not knowing which way is left or right. Cause everything looks the same and everyone was getting depressed and everyone was getting sick because they were stuck in this, you know, not very well ventilated area. Like I know Lori, uh, Cardilli talks about, you know, she got like a fever of, of like 103 at one point, like she got really sick and she wasn't the Jeez. only one. Savini said that he got sick while he was down there, you know, cause they're all stuck there together. Yeah. And this air that's just circulating. Yeah. And it was also in the middle of nowhere like it's it was outside of Pennsylvania but it was a good little drive I'm mean, out, outside it's outside of Pittsburgh but it was a good little drive so a lot of the cast and crew chose to stay at a nearby holiday inn rather than endure that long commute before and after long days of filming and Romero was under he was not under not only the financial constraints of a, of a pretty small budget but time constraints as well because he actually had a contractually obligated deadline like he had to finish this by a certain day so he had to do away with his usual kind of free and easy improv approach not to say that there's not improvisation in the film but as we've talked about before like Romero likes to shoot a lot of footage and then and then you kind of build it in the editing suite and you know Joe Pilato did improv on set and and Howard Sherman did improv and You know, you you had that happening, but not to the extent that was available on previous Romero films. And Day of the Dead also wound up being the very first film that Romero completely gave up editing on. Uh, He gave the reins up to someone else. It was his longtime collaborator, uh, Pasquale Buba, who we've talked about on the show before, who has co-edited with Romero on past films. But this is the first one that Romero wasn't in the editing suite.
1: It's got to be kind of weird, like, this whole thing being contractually obligated to, you know, to this film and then handing over the reins. I don't, I don't imagine this put him in a really healthy mental spot,
2: you know. Well, I mean, I think he was pretty happy with the movie as it turned out, you know, even though it wasn't originally his vision. It's not, you can't say that, like, e- even though this was not the original epic that Romero wanted, he... He didn't phone it in. I mean, he's still firing on all cylinders on this movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, like he, he is succeeded still... as well. Like,
0: I mean, yeah. he got done what he needed to get done. I mean, this is like we said, a lot of people's favorite
2: ones. So yeah. Well, well, that that brings up a good point. Where do you guys fall on that? Like what Todd, had you seen this movie before? I
1: had not. Uh um, no, the first
2: time, first time watching yeah. It,
1: Todd. Yeah, this was yeah, first time viewing for me. Um okay.
2: I where, where do you think it falls for you? Then I'm curious as a first timer,
1: where it falls in the trilogy. Uh, to be honest, I and don't get me wrong, there's actually a lot about this about this that I like. Um, but you guys know I tend to get more into the characters and the motivations and you know plot and story, and this one just felt. It, it, I like it, but I think the reasons I like it are not the typical reasons I dig movies. This, the Tom Savini's work, we've mentioned it a couple of times. It's absolutely stellar. So I was on board with that and that was really a lot of fun. But in looking at some of the characters, you know, we've already mentioned that they weren't like super great people. So yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, I mean, it's so it's kind of hard to root for them.
2: They're not likable. I think the only person you can really root for is probably Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah, hundred percent is. I mean, maybe if you get to like John and
0: uh, uh I forgot his name, Mr. Bean. Yeah, John <laughs> and Mr. Bean. Yeah, let's um, just let's
1: just lean into that. <laughs>
0: uh That that maybe maybe those guys, but they're even like I feel I feel like they're honestly. All- far of the spectrum because those guys are kind of like not giving a shit like the irish guy
1: i feel like they get shortchanged like we did i feel like we don't get to find out a lot about them
2: yeah i mean i i I can kind of see that you don't get any backstory but you you see where they're at at this point in in history honestly the the helicopter pilot i relate to more than anyone because if it were the middle of a zombie apocalypse i also would want to be drunk all the time yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) well it's it's like i understand that They're
0: drunk and then they've just made their own little utopia that's like their faux beach, like in that little room. Yeah, yeah. Like just hanging out, waiting for somebody to give them the
2: okay to just fly to a real beach. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) they're kind of stuck in the middle of this battle between the scientists and the military, you know? Yeah. Uh, They're they're kind of at a terrible spot. Uh, So, Todd, now that we've completed the Romero original trilogy, the O.T., Mm -hmm. Mhm. Where how do you rank them? Night Ooh. Dawn Day. How do you, how do how do you rank them in n- not necessarily like what you think's the best or whatever like in your enjoyment where do you rank them? Mm.
1: Um gosh, that's that's kind of tough. I I I think I think Dawn I think Dawn pulls ahead for me a little bit. So I think I'd have to go Dawn Night of the Living Dead and then Day of the Dead. Okay. Um, just because I feel like it.
2: That's a lot it, of people drinking. So I'm, I'm not going to it Okay.
1: It. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like it's a really, I feel like especially the um, uh, night and dawn really have that indie spirit. And I feel like they also explore a lot with characters and story and plot. And I'm not. And I don't want to say Day of the Dead was boring. It's not boring. It's
2: it's a lot of people talking, a lot of people yelling yeah, at each other. Yeah, it's a very uh, talky movie. Yeah, it, it, is, it takes a it long is. time to get to. So I I can, I can definitely action. understand people not liking this one. I personally like this one a lot, but I understand why people don't because they're not fun people to hang around with. And when you are hanging around with them, all they're doing is arguing for. It's two, almost two hours. There's yeah. there's not like anybody to have sympathy for, like you said, except right. maybe Sarah. But, but I do like some of those characters. I do like watching them. I do like Dr. Frankenstein. And I do absolutely love Captain Rhodes. I mean, I, I don't love him as a human. I think he's a, he's a total shithead, but as a villain in a movie, you I think to, he's...
1: You love to hate him.
2: Oh man, he is fucking great. I love okay. Joe Pilato in this movie. I love Joe Pilato in this movie so much. I think he is just having so much fun and he looks like he's about to have an aneurysm at any moment. And he was apparently like so amped up on set that he was hard like to get along with because he was just like in not necessarily like being method, but he was just so into that character that he was kind of unpleasant to be around. Not where he was mean to people, but people were just kind of scared of him after watching his performance. That they wow. were like, let, let's stay away from this fucking crazy dude.
0: <laughs> so, it's, Gary,
2: what, what's your ranking?
1: All right, let's
0: get uh, another. No, I was just going to say, like, I agonize over <laughs> this, too, because I, I don't, like, I guess if I had a gun to head, I would probably go Dodd Day-Night. Uh, but it it's tough because it's just, it's like, really
2: hard. Cause I love, there are certain
0: d- characters I love from all of them and it's really more that like, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's like, if I could take Ben from night and team him up with the guys from Dawn, you know, like most, actually the three main protagonists and Dawn, I think are pretty solid Yeah, Uh a, and I, I just forgot the other actor's name, but the, even the female character there, like those guys. But Sarah is like the only person from day, like maybe John and Mr. Bean, I guess, but like it just, I don't know. There's characters from each one that I really dig, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess if I have to pick is Don first.
2: Yeah. Day. I mean, I have a hard time as well. Cause usually my favorite is whichever one I just watched. Cause I mm. love all three of them, you know, for different reasons. I would say probably overall night is actually the my favorite. It's the one I revisit the most. Right. Uh, I just really love that movie. I, it just works. So I mean, they all work. You Son of a bitch.
0: See, I almost said night. Like I was, I was really <laughs> close to I, just saying. That, well, I was really close to saying night. And then I was like, I'm gonna get shit for saying night. Like, no, I fucking that's love just that like movie. The OG. And I'm like, yeah, really. That's the one. I just know that I love that movie. And like, yeah. it's just
2: a really solid, it's basic, a, a, it's amazing horror movie. Yeah. And like it, it just works. I mean, I love, I love. Aspects of all of them. I love Savini's work that he brought to both Dawn and Day, but Night is overall my favorite. There's something just very. It's. I think it's the black and white photography. I think yeah. there's just something about that grainy black and white, like and it's there's there's a, a
1: purity, there's a it's purity.
2: nihilistic. I mean, they're all kind of nihilistic. This one probably the most nihilistic of all, but because at th- by this point in the zombie apocalypse, at this point, it's like it truly is hopeless and nothing matters. I mean that's what Romero said in that quote from the beginning of the episode that you know if you're you've got these scientists who are conducting all of these studies but if there's no one to report them to then do they even matter? Does anything at this point matter other than just surviving for the sake of surviving? Right. Like that's like nothing that's that's incredibly nihilistic, you know. Yeah. And I, I also love you know in doing this series and watching all these interviews with Romero, his movies do come across as, as fairly nihilistic even all three uh, m- except for maybe Dawn because that's got kind of a hopeful end- ending but Night in this one and even like Night Riders you know with the 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 last shot of Ed Harris you know getting creamed my reality
0: motorcycle. AKA uh,
2: semi yeah yeah so <laughs> that's pretty nihilistic but then you watch Romero and he's just this upbeat happy dude he's just you know cheerful nihilism
0: yeah it's it. so funny like I, I recommend for anybody that hasn't seen it that that interview with Guillermo and him uh just talking like sitting on a couch
2: yeah adding, he's got such a. he's such a, like he's a very passionate guy as is Guillermo so I, I imagine that's a great interview well and and Guillermo's just constantly like trying to attribute
0: like all of these things to him like just telling him like, oh, and in this movie, you really did this and this and George is like constantly like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, like I guess I, am, I appreciate <laughs> the analysis. Yeah. And, and Guillermo's like, I'm, it's not analysis. I'm telling you that you did this thing, and it's like, even if you don't want to, like, uh, you know, your I like that your Guillermo is,
2: accent sounds it, it like sounded Count in Italian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's <a> it <friend. laughs> Now that's Borat. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. It's see, it's the beer. Uh, I, yeah. Anyway, it's just that G- Romero just has this very like, I'm just, I'm just making. The movie that I wanted to make. He he I think he even boils down in that internet or in that interview, he boils down to like this. The only thing I could say for sure is that I said no. That's one thing that I think was the strength of something that I did is that when anytime somebody somebody tried to steer me in a different direction than what I wanted to do, I said no so many times. Yeah. And so it's uh,
1: important. It's really important.
0: Well, that's that's what he's saying. He's like, that's the best thing that I could say that I did. The most important thing that I did was I would just often say no. Like, I'm not doing that.
2: Yeah, he, he's a guy who almost always stuck to his guns and stuck to his integrity and stuck to, like, his independence, you know? Uh, there are exceptions, one of which we're going to talk about next week. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's next week's film, but... When Day of the Dead opened, it originally opened in limited release on July 4th, 1985, to kind of mixed reviews from both critics and audiences. I think Roger Ebert, who you remember, Roger Ebert was kind of wishy-washy on night, loved Dawn, called it a masterpiece. And then on day, he's like, Maybe Romero should quit while he's ahead. (laughs) Like that was that's (laughs) almost an exact quote from his review. Although the movie, I mean it made decent money, but not great money. I think I mean it was a like we said, a pretty small budget, but producer there's a producer that's interviewed in that documentary called named David Ball. He claims in that that it made its budget back in New York alone in like the first week, which is, you know, was about three million dollars. But I think it only made like six or eight million dollars overall. Because like we said, you know, people were this is not the zombie film that people wanted from the guy who had made Dawn of the Dead. And it's definitely not the zombie film that people wanted in in the mid 80s. Uh, here's I'm going to play a little clip of Romero talking about the film's reception.
1: People today, looking back on the three zombie films, I think that there are really split camps. And there are some people that you can't get them away from the first film. You know, that's their love. And there are some people that just sort of celebrate and party with Dawn of the Dead. It's sort of the wildest of the three. It was also the most popular and then there are the real trolls, you know, like day of the day.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's right. There were, this was not, it didn't get the reception that he wanted, but he, he goes on in that interview to say, and I think we mentioned this before, but that day is his personal favorite of the trilogy. And, well, and I mean, he
0: thinks it, people are trolls if they love day.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he's saying that lovingly, you know, but he, uh, I think that day is the most thematically rich probably of the entire trilogy. Like we said, you know, the, the social commentary on the first film was almost accidental. The second film it's, it, you know, kind of anti-consumerism, which is also, you know, interesting. But in this one, it's like almost breaking down who we are as humans and how we would fare in this type of situation and how, we don't know how to communicate with each other, and how we just default to budding heads. You know, which is obviously something that's you know still very prevalent <laughs>
0: today. Yeah. The weird thing I would say about it is, is that it seems like it does it in the most caricature way of a human being. Like, I, I mean, not this is going to sound like I'm just like criticizing the movie, but I mean, I guess if I just have to like try to analyze and be nitpicky about it, it's like with at least with Dawn the characters that break down there break down realistically. Like I feel like every, you know, like, I mean, there's obviously the motorcycle gang, which are just a band of marauders that would probably exist. And that makes sense. Like Savini's crew and that, but like the, you know, like it feels like those characters are legit. Like there, nobody just is sets out to be like a complete asshole. They just somehow make shit moves I don't know, in 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 Day, like, the military is very much, like, at least three of those guys are just pricks. Like, they yeah. just oh, yeah, are, yeah. and they start that <laughs> way, and they stay that way. And one of the scientist guys is Frankenstein for a reason. Like, he is just a loon. Like, he's supposed to be deciding, you know, like... I, I you, you get the impression that the, the experiments are to discover like a cure for this disease he has little interest in discovering a cure for the disease as much as he just wants to play with zombie bodies
2: and uh yeah well and- i mean at this we, we we don't know exactly how long into like the zombie apocalypse this is but we know that most of humanity is probably wiped out at this point so how long have these guys been without other human interaction and they've gone they've literally gone crazy and this is how it's reflected it's you know in the scientists it's almost like they're i mean i guess this goes to what you're saying it being like a caricature but it's like a heightened version of who they are is who they become in this situation whereas like the military guys become uber like combative and the science guy like he gets so into his experiments that like almost what what is he even trying to achieve at this point i think
0: the most reassuring part if i could go with anything is that at least in day thanks to steel you know that even in a situation where there's possibly only five human beings alive racism will still function strongly like yes it'll (laughs) still be alive
2: and well yeah yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah. i mean it's yeah,
2: that guy's a real piece of shit, isn't he? Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. He's I, just I like mean, make that...
0: sure to use every racist term he can. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah like you just... may be the only human beings left on earth and you still <laughs> got time to be a fucking prick about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> and...
1: I, I was because I mean it was to a point where I was like, is there a checklist? Or is there a <laughs> is someone standing off state? Uh, you know, All off right. camera just going, No, you haven't said that one yet. Come on. <laughs> you know, the film opened.
2: I said it opened and limited a release in July. It opened wider in August of 1985, and it started to make kind of steady returns at the box office, but then it sort of got blindsided in October by another zombie movie that just kind of came out of left field, but one that had originated probably a little too close to home for comfort for Mr. Romero, and that was Dan O'Bannon's Return of the Living Dead. But that's a long story and we're going to have to get into that on a different episode sometime in the future. Cause it is a very interesting story. The way that return of the living dead is, and will always be connected to Romero's trilogy. Yeah. Whether he likes it or not, whether, and he did not, <laughs> he, did, he did not, uh, it, you know, this film, I, I, we've, we've talked about it. we, I think we all, I think me and Gary like it probably a little bit more than Todd maybe, but I think we all understand why, even if we do like it, why people why people wouldn't like it. Yeah. But it has gained quite a cult following over the years. And like we said earlier, you know, there are a lot of people that would consider this the best of that trilogy and the best, you know, possibly Romero's best film. A, a lot of people have said that as well. And I think it does hold up incredibly well, and I think it really does. I think the zombie effects, especially, are incredible. I think the opening sequence, which was shot in Fort Lauderdale, you know, we've got the the alligator out on, you know, walking the streets. I think that's a great sequence. I think it's really damn good.
0: gators. That was the um, note yeah. before we started recording. That was the that was actually the one note I took during watching the movie. Damn gators! There's only damn one gators. Yeah, it was should have been singular gator. Well, it's just, when you see, I I guarantee you, if you're out and like a a gator's there and you feel threatened by it, you'll just be like, damn gators. Like, it's just, it's just like, people just do that sometimes. It could be one out of 500, but you'll just, you know, you'll consider the whole lot of them bad.
1: (laughs) What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this message brought to you by Gary Horn.
2: <laughs> I uh, uh, I also think the finale of this film, once Miguel, Miguel, that's his name, right? Once he lets the zombies down in the little lift thing, and
1: yeah. they just run
2: amok in the bunker. Oh man. That's some of the, just the best zombie gore that's ever been put to film. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it takes so long to get there. So I could get why some people bow
0: out. Like, like what Todd was saying, like, it's just so talky and like, so, argumentative there's barely any zombie action that happens and people may be more accustomed to this i don't know like i feel like the time i was watching walking dead they kind of got this way too yeah i think when you're a guy like romero you're like i can't just have zombies just killing people constantly like that yeah to have be the yeah, something movie. else going on <laughs> but uh it's like a, a little while has to pass so it makes it more effective when the zombies do really turn up but yeah, I mean when the zombies turn up in this movie, it's the rampage is more yeah. violent and disturbing than any of the other movies. Yes. Combined, probably. Like it just they they will frickin' rip you in half. <laughs> it's so uh, it's it's insane in this one.
2: Gary, before we wrap this up, can you get did you did you get any one star reviews for this one?
0: Oh yeah, we definitely got a couple here for the uh category we like to call somebody needs a nap. <laughs> Uh, this is from IMDb, a one out of ten stars for stumbling mindless drones. I always get a shiver down my back when confronted by an army of mindless and aggressive drones, immune to logical reason, utterly single-minded and capable, only of emitting low moans and sc- scrabbling and clawing at anyone not of their kind. Conveniently enough, I can usually avoid these people by asking what they thought of Day of the Dead. If the answer is cool, <laughs> boob the zombie cool then i know it's time for me to make my escape huh that's that's enough of that one i'll read i'll read this one suit to, to completion <laughs> george romero <laughs> george romero is the antichrist this poor person <laughs> I don't think I'll ever understand the popularity of Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead have enjoyed. They're all awful, awful movies without a shred of entertainment, value, or intelligence of any kind. I've seen much better movies on MST3K. But for some reason, everybody seems to think they're some kind of brilliant genius horror movies with pointed insight into the human condition. I don't get it. Day of the Dead is better than Dawn, but only because it's shorter. Dawn is more than two unbearable hours, whereas Day is much more tolerable at 90 minutes. Thank God Romero didn't tack on another half hour with a random biker gang this time around. While at last, though, Day of the Dead is reprehensible. It's just terrible actors, some of them improvising Jamaican, Mexican, or Irish accents, yelling nonsense at each other to the background accompaniment of awful techno thrown together at the last minute on a cheap keyboard. And then the zombies get in and the villain characters get ripped apart. End of movie. If anybody can explain the popularity of these movies to me, I'll be grateful. I consider it one of the most perplexing mysteries of the universe. Romero made what may be the best possible zombie film, Night of the Living Dead. But then he apparently got hit in the head or something. And every subsequent movie he's made has been awful. Worse, he's got some kind of alien brainwashing ray to fool people into loving, unwatchable films. It's scarier than anything in his movies. Isn't there anyone who can save the world from George Romero?
2: Oh, my God.
1: Jeez.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. You know what I have to say (laughs) to that guy? I I think you need a nap.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think you need a nap. (laughs) Wow. Oh, that's a good one.
2: Anyone who's going to save the world from George Romero? Yeah. Well, that's it for day of the day, guys. Uh, next week, we're going to be moving on to a movie a, a little bit further on in the '80s. We're moving on to 1988 for a movie that uh, is kind of an almost an outlier, I guess, in Romero's filmography. Although it is horror, it's not an outlier in in that aspect, like something like Night Riders was. But uh, I don't know if if it's, it's, it's We'll get into the story behind it, but the one we're talking about next week is a little bit more of like a studio film, I guess you'd say. So it should be interesting to talk about, considering... what
0: it's worth, I remember the the ads for this one, clearly, because as a small child, I remember the monkey clanging together, the (laughs) uh, symbols terrifying
2: me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what we're talking about next week. We're talking about 1988's Monkey Shines. And uh, we'll get into that. If you want to find out where to stream it, just hit up our website at cinemashock.net. And we'll have links to stream it and all of the upcoming episodes that we've got planned. So you'll be able to find all those there. Uh, You'll also find links to, you know, where you can listen to this and all of our episodes. Uh, All of our archives are there on the website and links to follow all of us on the social media. You can follow us, uh, the, the podcast, you can follow at cinema underscore shock on Twitter and Instagram. You can also like us on Facebook and you know, rate review all that stuff that you that you're supposed to say at the end of a podcast.
0: I like it. You've got it all nailed down. This is good,
2: Gary. Where? How about you? Where can people find you on the internet?
0: I am at this is Gary Horn. This is Gary uh professionalism Anastasia Horn. <laughs> <laughs> no, just that. This is Gary Horn on everything.
2: <clears throat> Horn has an e at the end. The it e does. is silent till midnight. Yowza. <laughs> hey And Mr. Davis.
1: I'm um, at Mr. Todd A. Davis on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and D&D Beyond.
2: Still don't know what that is. <laughs> I love it. Still, still don't know what that is, but uh, I am at Justin underscore Bishop. And until next week, may the weeks of liberty never lose a feather. Be excellent to each other. Gary, hit stop. Hit stop before he says <laughs> it. I <laughs> just...
0: I'm just curious if he's going to do it because it's... I swear to God, if Johnny has the keys, makes it out of a Romero series, there's no hope for you. (laughs) Johnny has the keys. Oh, Oh, God.